This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So good to be with you this morning. What a crazy, interesting week after Easter. We've been, we had been bone dry for months here in South Florida, and then the heavens were opened up, right? 25 inches of rain in less than seven hours, broke an all-time historical record, and so crazy. And, and you know, with this, um, some people uh, were affected in our community in Broward, and, and Harbor is going to be combining in with some other churches because of your generosity, as Julie was sharing, as we connect our hearts with the heart of a generous father, we're going to be sharing some resources with those in our community that were affected by this storm. You know, I think only 50% of the people in the affected neighborhoods had flood coverage because they weren't in a flood zone. And so, you know, imagine in one moment, they say this was an, a once in a thousand year storm. It was less than 1% chance that that much rain would be dumped at this time of year. Can you imagine? And then just in one moment, everything that you own is completely destroyed. And what if the church the most generous instrument on the earth came and just said, hey, listen, we got you. We're going to take care of like the needs that you have. That's what's going to be happening. So if you want to contribute, you can just, it's, we have a relief fund, we call it, but we're going to be giving to that because of your generosity and just want to thank you. So good to be back with you today because last Sunday I was sick, y'all. I mean, I was, and I just couldn't have anybody else speak because it was just last minute. I didn't get sick until Friday. And um, I was able to go home and remember why I gave you guys the illustration that I gave you for those that were here. It was actually a really good illustration. When I got my car door hit at the airport, I called the owner of the Park and Go company um, and, and shared with him, hey, this is what happened to me. And he, and he said, are you, you a pastor? Because he said, I saw your email. I said, yeah. And he said, well, I just want you to know um, that I believe in the priesthood of all believers and I park cars for Jesus for the glory of his kingdom. <laughs> so it fit into my message. That's what I'm trying to say. There was relevance to it. It wasn't just poor Darren got his car door hit, right? So it was, it was beautiful. And, and, and I haven't heard too many business owners say those kind of words. And so it kind of took me back. So I'm going to reach back out to him and say, hey, not only do I want to give you the receipt for my car door being repaired, but I want to take you to lunch, man, and hear more of your story. Um, so really, really awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick up, did you know that in, in church tradition, all of the Sundays after Easter leading up to Pentecost, and this is, this is, you know, 300 plus years later after, after the early church was formed, that all of the Sundays were considered a time to celebrate what God had done, to really focus in on it. They call it Easter tide. I like that. Like the, the wave of God, you know, coming in and, and washing over our hearts and reminding us what this whole thing is about. So today, just super simple, what I want to do is I want to just, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes on why did Jesus have to be resurrected? What is the relevance of the resurrection um, to us? And how does it affect or leaven this thing that we call the church? 
And I think you're going to be surprised as we jump into this today. The word church, in its original context, spoken by Jesus himself at Caesarea Philippi, had nothing to do with religiosity. And so we're going we're gonna to peer into some things today. So Holy Spirit, help us. Um, let me just pray. Father, would you help us to see today? Give us the capacity to hear. Let the grace of heaven be upon your word and upon our hearts as we hear it. So that this glorious, beautiful gospel can be revealed to us and we can run with the thing that you've placed in our hearts to do. In this moment in human history, in Jesus' name. There's a lot I could say about this, but the greatest gift that God gave mankind is life. The greatest gift, life. We know through the narrative in Genesis that mankind lost the fullness, the fullness of that life that was entrusted to them. You know, we were never actually created to die? Did you know that? Death in in terms of passing away and being buried in the grave, that was never part of God's original intention as he entrusted man with this beautiful gift called life. And so at the fall, you know, death came into the human equation, not according to God's will, right? And the fear of death became a part of human culture to this day. The fear of death. I was just, you know, just kind of poking around a little bit on the internet. Do you know what's a lot cheaper to get your burial plot now than when you die? (laughs) Did you know that? For all of the money savers out there, why don't we go and just run right down to the burial plot place and buy ourselves a little resting home for when we go to, go to, you know, go to be with the Lord? Why don't we do that? Because we think if we go and buy that thing, that things might come a little quicker maybe than we anticipated. So we're just going to put that off, Right? But here's what I want to just, just tell you today. The only way... And this is something we have to understand in God's, God's equation here. And as we're looking at the, the resurrection of Jesus and the importance of his resurrection, the only way to get life back to mankind in fullness was through death. So Jesus was not afraid to die because he knew, in fact, the Bible says, for the joy set before him. Completely opposite of fear. The joy set before him. He endured the cross. What a totally different perspective as it relates to death. He had capacity to look at this with joy in his heart. You ever felt like you're dying sometimes through circumstances in life? And the last thing that we have in those moments is joy. Yet it should be some of the most profound moments that we should have in the Lord. You remember even the persecution of the early church, it said that they rejoiced, that they were worthy, counted worthy to suffer as Jesus did. And they had something that so much I think we're missing today in the American church. Come on, somebody. Jesus spoke very plainly 
about this death that would come to his life. I want to show you this in John chapter 10, verse 18. And take note of the language here. As we think people killed Jesus, they did in a sense, but like he, it's so much bigger than that. Look at, look at what it says in verse 18. He says, I surrender my own life. Y'all think you're up to something out there, humanity, but this is, you, you think what you're doing is, is, is the center of, 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 of all of the purpose here that I have for you, but it's, it's way bigger than that. I surrender my own life. In fact, no one has the power to take my life from me. Do you understand that? No one. No one has the power to take Jesus' life. He's the eternal one. He's the one that always was, is, and always will be. He had no creation. He will have no ending. He is the essence and the fountain of life. No one has the power to take that from him. He says, I've been given the authority to lay it down. And then here he talks about his resurrection. And the power to take it back up again. Come on, somebody. This is the God we serve. This is the, the king of kings that's seated upon the thrones, the throne over all of the earth and all of creation and all, all of the universe. This is the one. He says, this is the destiny my father has set before me. But here's the thing we got to understand. When Jesus talked about death, he never just left it there. Growing up as a kid, in a very Roman Catholicism uh, culture, and this is, I'm, please, I'm not saying anything, I'm not throwing any stone against this, I'm just telling you my experience. My take on Jesus was a dead guy on a cross. And that's kind of where it was left for me. I might have told you verbally that I believed that he was raised again from the dead, but I didn't carry the hope of that really in my heart because it felt so far from me, if that makes sense. So he was always coming back to what was on the other side. And in fact, when he, when he spoke about coming back to life um, because of the cross of Calvary, he, he, he basically was telling everybody, the resurrection is inevitable. And they just couldn't even conceptualize that. How can someone say that they're going to take their life back up again? No one has ever done that in human history to this day besides Jesus. Do you get that? Nobody else. There's been plenty of messiahs that have come and gone. And no one has taken their life back up after they went into the grave. Come on, I need an amen or something from somebody this morning. This is good. No one would Jesus... Now, there's three massive implications, and I'm not going to belabor this because I'm going to get to the point of my message this morning. But the resurrection, I just want you to understand this, carries three massive implications. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus was the assurance that mankind's missing the mark or sin was dealt with. So when we're all worried about sin, listen, there has been a remedy for sin. Jesus dealt with mankind's sin. And just by saying, God, I open up my heart and receive this gracious gift, there is power to come in and bring redemption to every single form and fashion of brokenness. Do you understand that? Number two, the resurrection was the promise of hope beyond the grave. Hope. 
beyond the grave. Oh, I could talk about that one for a long time. And the resurrection number three is proof. And here's the good one that death has lost its power. It had power, but it has lost its power. What's profound about this, and, and you just, you could, I could show you a million different scriptures, but I'm going to show you one. All of this was predicted 700 years before Jesus even came to the earth. Look at this in Isaiah 53. He says, after the great anguish of his soul, he will see the light and be fully satisfied. Speaking of Jesus. This is a prophet, a Jewish prophet, speaking to a Jewish nation of this coming Messiah. He said, by knowing him, the righteous one. Look at this. This is so beautiful, and this is over your life. My servant will make many to be righteous. That's the promise over us. We're sitting in this room 2,000 plus years later, 2,700 plus years later uh, since this prophecy, and we are a fulfillment of this very verse. Can you imagine? My servant will make many to become righteous because he, their sin bearer, carried away their sins. Jesus spoke many times of his resurrection to his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that day on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem, suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests, and religious scholars. Notice who was the ones that that were kind of being utilized in this moment, if you will. Religion always leads to death. Religion always has led to death. Relationship is what leads to life. He said, if you would have known me or known my father, you would know that he sent me. It's all about relationship. He explained that he would be killed and three days later, he'd be raised to life again. With boldness, he proclaimed this to his disciples. They're like, what, what, you know, what? The angel at the tomb corroborated This to Mary Magdalene, the one who was in love with Jesus because he had transformed her life. She goes to see the grave of this one she had fallen in love with. And an angel comes to her and says, he is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. That's what he spoke to her. And here's where I want to shift to today. It was after his death, his burial, his resurrection... And his soon coming ascension, May 28th, Pentecost Sunday, that he was coronated or crowned King of Kings. So Prince Charles is being coronated King over England, right? Did you guys hear about this? Did you hear about any of this stuff going on? What about Meghan and Harry? Come on, somebody. Hear about what's going on there? What am I talking? It's a big deal. It's a big celebration that's been being planned for a couple of years. Can you imagine this celebration when Jesus took his place on that throne as the king of kings? 
Now, here's what I want to just talk to you about just for a few minutes. We're going to wrap this up. A kingdom, because we're Americans, I want you to catch this. A kingdom is different than a democracy. Because of the evilness, I believe, in man's heart, the democracy has been set up in the sovereignty of the Lord. I think it's, a, it's probably one of the best forms of government, if you will, of the people, by the people, for the people, all that kind of thing. But the kingdom of God, we don't really get it because it's different than the democracy that we're in. In a democratic form of government, the people vote the leader in. We saw what happened here in Jesus' story. Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Give us Barabbas. Wrong choice. Come on, somebody. There's a flaw in that democracy right there. Then the leader chooses his cabinet, and the cabinet then counsels the leader. Sometime with pure motives, other times But in a kingdom, the king chooses his citizens. Come on. You've not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you. You're a royal priesthood. One's called out of darkness into my marvelous light. I have chosen you before the foundations of the world. The king chooses his cabinet, much like in the democracy, but the cabinet doesn't consult back to the king. The cabinet, catch this, executes the power of the king's will in their spheres of domain. Ooh, here we go. We got to catch this because we're not living in this spiritual kingdom that functions like some democracy. He has set you in place and he is empowering you as a part of his cabinet to execute his will in the earth. So we say, kingdom come. He is, he is talking about something flowing through us as Julie pointed out when she came up onto the stage that empowers us to go and do what he's called us to do. Each collectively, uh, as, a ch- collectively as a church and each of us individually as priesthoods of believers, if you will. And the Greek word, here's where I want to just land this today, for this cabinet... This group of people is Ecclesia. Ecclesia. I just want you to remember that word because it's massively important. When you translate, this is where things have went wonky. When you translate Ecclesia, the Greek word into English, you get the word church. And just like all kinds of other religious language, we have no context for what that word church even means. You gotta understand when Jesus was talking about many things, apostles, for example, sent ones. How many of you know that wasn't a religious terminology? It was it was part of, of the Roman governmental system of Caesar, who was a who was a They were being oppressed by a kingdom. 
Kingdoms take territory. And he was talking about those that were empowered to be sent into conquered lands. That's where the word apostle comes from. When he talks about church, he's talking about a group of cabinet members that have been given authority to go and carry out the king's bidding. In the case of the Roman Empire, it was the Roman Senate. Anybody ever watch Gladiator? One of my favorite movies. Wendy's like, why do you like to see people get cut up and killed and die and all these things like smashed? with?" It's not so much that. It's the redemptive story behind, you know, Braveheart. I had a, I swear I got saved in Braveheart. Come on, somebody. I got saved in Braveheart. Freedom. I'm like, ah. So Jesus, wrapping this up to try to get them to have some understanding of why he resurrected and how this is relevant to what he's called them to do, he takes them away to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I've been there in Israel. Who would like to go on a tour with Wendy and I and some of the team to Israel? And just go check out the land. It's really beautiful in this, in this sense. It gives you context for what you're reading about in the Word. Caesarea Philippi was a city that was not a godly place, a little small town. And, and, and what, what God ruled over that place was the god Peneus. It's that, if you, if you look in Greek mythology, there's that, that has the um, head of a man, but a, a body of a goat. That's Peneus. And Peneus is where we get the word panic. So it was basically the god of fear. Jesus is going to go and he's going to get them in a place where he's going to address the major thing that has been instituted through death, which is fear. And he brings them to Caesarea Philippi. And what does he do? He asks them a question. What was the question? Anybody know? Come on, big living room here. Anybody know? What did he ask them? Who do people say that I am? They start going on. Well, some say you're this and some say you're that. Some say, you know. The greatest question for us to this day that we have to answer is who is Jesus? Everybody's got opinions of Jesus. The Buddhists say he was a good teacher. But here's what I want to submit. Being a good teacher does not enable you to choose an ecclesia. You have to be a king. Teachers don't qualify. Does that make sense? When Muslims say he was a prophet, it disqualifies him from being able to choose an ecclesia because prophets can't choose ecclesias. Only kings can choose ecclesias. Are you tracking with me? Religion, including Christianity, has diluted Jesus down in our belief system minimally because our beliefs determine our actions to being just a prophet or teacher in many cases. We say that who we say that he is is a massive doorway to true life and everything else is just religious activity 
So Peter, remember this moment? This is when he has this moment. The Spirit of God falls on him. And he declares, thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the king. When they would set a king in authority, they would anoint him with oil. And he says, thou art the, everybody say with me, the, the, not one of, the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you remember Jesus says upon this rock, which literally is translated upon this statement, I will build my the Greek word ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. And then he says, the gates of hell. Now I got to just give you context here because I've been to Caesarea Philippi. There's this big hole in the ground that sits underneath this massive cl- cliff. And to appease the God of Peneus or the God of anxiety, the God of fear. They would sacrifice people off of that cliff and they would fall down into this abyss that was known as the gates of hell. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against this ecclesia. Fear will have no place in your heart at the end of the day. It will not. If you fast forward to the, and the band can come back up, to the apprehension of Jesus before the crucifixion. We know that it was the religious system that arrested Jesus. In fact, he was taken to the home of the chief priest. Can you imagine getting that home invite? Come on, somebody. Hey, come on over to my home. We're going to crucify you. It's not what homes were meant for. And when they asked him all kinds of questions, you can study this for yourself. The Bible says that he never said a word to them. And I never caught this before, but I asked why. And the reason was, is that they had no authority because they weren't a part of a kingdom. They were part of a religious system. He remained silent. So then they drag him over. We know the story to to Potiphar's place. And Jesus was thinking, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now, now, okay, now we're on to something. And notice Pilate never asked Jesus if he was a prophet or a teacher. What did he ask him? Are you a... Why? Because he understood what a king meant. Because he served one. He was a part of that king's ecclesia. Do you get this? And so why he was asking this question is he wanted to get to the bottom of where was Jesus really coming from and to assess the threat. Jesus said, you were right to say that I'm a king and it was for this purpose that I was born. Here's where earthly governments clash with spiritual governments. His kingdom was not of this world, meaning not of the culture of this world. 
He wasn't here to dominate. He, here, he was here to lay his life down for a ransom for humanity. In fact, he told Pilate, because Pilate said, don't you understand that I have the authority to kill you? Jesus was like, listen, you don't get it, man. I could call tens of thousands of angels down here right now and wipe you and everybody else out here in this place. But I'm not going to do it because the meek shall inherit the earth. Meek mean, meekness means power restrained. Jesus restrained his power. Uh, though he told Pilate exactly what the truth was, he restrained his power at that moment because meekness was to come into the earth through you and me. We're not going to take this thing by force. We're going to take it by demonstration of power and love in a hurting, broken world. So he says, go ahead, Pilate, do your job. Do your job. But I'm laying it down. Just know that. Last thought here. When Jesus changed Simon Peter's name to Petros, it literally means little pebble. You ever feel like a little pebble sometimes? It's like, man, what difference am I really able to make in the world? Well, listen, it was a little pebble that was put in a sling shot by a king that brought down David, or Goliath. David brought down Goliath. You have more potency than you actually realize on the inside of your frame. And we are a part of the rock or Petra, which literally means an immovable mountain. And we are fashioned on this rock. It's called the mountain of the Lord. And we are seated at the top of this mountain with him. And we have been given authority to go down from that mountain into the spaces that he's called us to go and exercise his authority. And he's given us full backing to be able to do that. And until we awaken to that, we are just going to keep doing church. But when we awaken to that, everything's going to change. So... How do we wrap this up? We're called to do exploits together. And so here's what we need to to let God do in us. Number one, know the one we serve. King of kings. Love others, number two, as he has loved us. And then go and make disciples of nations. One of the reasons I love being positioned in South Florida because the population of this region, 6 million people, is larger than the majority of geopolitical nations around the world. Did you know that? I think it's like up there. It's like in the in the teens or 20s, like the region of South Florida alone compared to other nations. Why then wouldn't we set our, set our sights on seeing this entire region swept into the kingdom of God? Yes. Why not? If we're going to believe for something, stand to your feet with me. 
Let's believe for something big. Because we're all representatives of the kingdom of heaven. Representing Jesus to the world. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to open your heart to literally be activated and moved on this word, not just to be saying amen. Darren, that was a good message. But to be moved in your heart to begin to take these steps forward. Know the one you serve. Love others as he has loved you. And begin to find your place in what it looks like to disciple this region. I'm going to have Alex sing a song after that. Just you're free to stay for as long as you like. Otherwise, you're free to be dismissed. But could you join with me? Holy Spirit, would you come? Come to this ecclesia, this cabinet, and have your way. Let us be assured that you have chosen us and that you are calling us to do great things for your glory. Lord, we love you. Let us love others in the same way that we have received your love. Empower us, O oh God, to reach this region, our nation, nations of the earth for the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Could we just give our King of Kings just a hand clap of praise for who he is and what he's done? Jesus. <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.